0: We're back, Empires of the Future, and uh, I promise we're not a Supreme Court podcast, but it was here, and we gotta talk about it.
1: Yeah, we might as well. I, I gotta ask real quick. You have everything muted this week, Jackson. Will we be hearing dings from messages? Well, I'm sure we had all kinds of
0: people uh, checking their phones in the last one because, yes, my phone. I was like the most popular guy on the block last time we were recording, and I'll just be frank
1: I did not want to go back through and try to edit (laughs) that. So, sorry. I'm sure both of our (laughs) our listeners were looking at their phones. (laughs) Whenever that went off.
0: (laughs) There was dinging. Um, So we're going to cover this case that was, um, here we are on April 28th, and this was covered uh, this past Monday, which would have been the 24th. Um, And it is about a coach praying on the 50-yard line, kind of on the side of the field, after uh, football games uh, up in Washington State. Um, and so this article is called Supreme Court Mull's Impact of High School Coaches' 50-Yard Line Prayers uh, by Jess Braven uh, out of the Wall Street Journal. And uh, as far as the details, I, I do want to make, anytime you have an article like this, um, are there other clarifying factors as far as exactly what is happening that you say? Like, what do we need to communicate about what exactly is going on and that what got him fired?
1: Yeah, there, there's certainly several details that kind of go into it. Um, what can be clear is that he was not fired um, because he was in any way forcing anyone to do anything. Um, he was not forcing any of his players to pray or anyone else to pray, nor was he forcing anyone to listen to him pray. Uh, he kind of made it a practice on his own to go and pray at the 50-yard line after games. Right. Uh, several of his athletes chose to join in in the prayer. And I guess a lot of the time, even other um, other teams, uh, some of their players and, and people there with them would come and join for the prayer. Um, but it was never forced. Right. Um, but uh, it seems like the reason he lost his job was simply because the school district decided... Um, he was in a sense representing the school district in that prayer, not just his own private religion. Right, was their assessment.
0: Right, and I mean, we should uh, remind everyone again: we're both ministers. Um, but the reason I wanted to speak to this, because uh, you know, obviously, as ministers, we are for the Christian religion. But I, I understand and agree that. Uh, the United States of America should not have an established religion. So neither mm-hmm. of us are for that. Right. Um, but the details of this case are important because, uh, what does that mean then that, that the United States wouldn't have, uh, an establishment of religion, especially when you have a Christian coach. And especially in this instance, when a coach who is a Christian specifically, yes, did pray in public, um, After a football game on the field and yes, get the details right. Then other students as time went on came with him. The story began to attract attention because uh, like you said, some people said, well uh, this shouldn't be happening because since he works for the school, he is, he representing the school when he does that. Mm -hmm. And look, That's a very good question, Mm -hmm. but it's also a question that you can't just go, obviously yes, or obviously no, because people have layers of identity, so they can be both a coach and a Christian. Right. And then the other thing I so often hear that I I think is problematic is to go, oh, well, religion is what people do in private. Yeah. That's not true at all. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. <laughs> well, certainly not. There's
1: certainly not of the Christian religion. Right. Um, perhaps there are religions that operate in that way. I don't think any of the major religions would agree to that sort of assessment. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is this kind of. You even hear this from politicians where they say, well, yes, privately, um, I am a practicing whatever. Right. But when I'm here on Capitol Hill or whatever, I am a politician, you know, and not a Christian, or not a Roman Catholic, or not whatever, right. um, and it's sort of a, a silly, I don't know, it's a silly thing to say, if you are an actual Christian, um, then that pervades into every aspect of your life, um, that you are not a Christian in one place, and a school teacher in another, you're not a Christian in one place, and a, um, a assembly worker at a Toyota plant and another, you are a Christian right. through and through, and it, it invades every aspect of your life. That, that's Christianity. Like I said, there may be some religions that aren't the same way, but that certainly is the case with Christianity.
0: Right. And I think, um, I really think what's behind that, uh, a philosopher named Rene Descartes, uh, years and years ago, uh, there's a thing called Cartesian dualism. And, and it's it, while we haven't heard of it, it's a way of looking at the world as to go, um, Foundational things are completely separated. So therefore, what I think or what I feel doesn't necessarily have any connection with what I do. And I look at that and I go, well, that's only if if you are a completely broken human being. Yeah. Uh, the way we actually work, I mean, I think that that I think that, that idea that what you think doesn't have to connect with what you do is evidence of the brokenness of humanity and the evidence of that we lie to ourselves yes. is an element of yes. what it is to be a broken human, because yes. certainly what you think and feel drives what you do and what you actually believe should drive what you do. Right. I mean, that's how it should work. Right. And, and, uh, and not only do I, that's a statement of ought, but I think it's also a statement of is, this is how it works. This is mm-hmm. how we are. And I think the only way you could say, no, it doesn't work that way is if you're lying to yourself. What you really believe is what you do.
1: Right. You believe something because you believe it to be true. And and we believe that truth corresponds with reality. And if truth corresponds with reality, then it will have an impact on our lives in every area. And so you cannot believe something to be true. So, for example, uh, you cannot believe, this is the low-hanging fruit, but you cannot believe abortion to be immoral, wrong, uh, murder, and then endorse abortion, right? right? It, it doesn't make any sense. If if that's what you're doing, then you don't actually believe that. You don't actually believe that that's true. Uh, you're giving lip service maybe to it, right. um, but you don't actually believe it.
0: Right. And I mean, and now look, at that point, I, I do want to throw in that, look, we are small little limited beings who have not sorted it all out yet. Sure. And we have conflicted and confusing uh, ideas about certain things, but the goal is to have a position or have... I don't know anybody who, I mean, the main problem I have with skepticism as just sort of a life, it's, it lacks courage. You are, the whole world calls us. You have to do something about Mm -hmm. your world. Um, that's what it is to be alive. And so skepticism fails because it's just cowardly and you, you have to make moves. And that's that's the goal. The goal is to think clearly so that you can act clearly. And so this is a, a lot of foundational stuff, but this story is actually, I think it's a great illustration of how we, we need to know the answer to this question because it's not as simple as, oh, well, if he's a coach, then he obviously could only pray somewhere where there aren't other people or students or whatever you want to say. It's like, well, that's not obvious at all um for anybody because look uh just below philosophical questions about like okay what is plain reasoning are religious questions they are foundational what is uh, is there a purpose for life well there's no you're not going to find the answer to that in you know chlorophyll you're not going to find that in nature that's a foundational question that we have to answer but that is not self-evident or evident in the world Mm -hmm. and those are the kinds of things that are all over the place for you no matter who you are Mm -hmm. i mean the debates that we see right now about say gender identity well it's not obvious that a person is able to just walk around going boom i have secret knowledge of my own gender that is a position that is below philosophical reasoning that is a foundational position and it is also a position to go no you know your biology could tell that uh it could be obvious from the basic nature of reality. And so you, you can argue from these grounds, but on these most basic questions, uh, I mean, one thing to say is that this is not a country founded on humanism right? any more than it is a country that says we are a Christian country by definition. Right. Um, and and I think sometimes we're just backed into uh, thinking that way and it's just it's just not there and that's why this is going all the way to the Supreme Court because okay what do we do about this um, and so let's, let's jump into it to the details. Uh, as I've said, neither of us are lawyers, um, so we want to be as precise about this yeah. as possible. Um, but there's a reason they're not asking us ultimately to rule upon this. I just want uh, us to talk about it and offer some clarity as much as we can yes. um, about it. So as always, two regular guys talking about complicated stuff. Yes, <laughs> but we
1: have opinions, and you're, you're going to get them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so Supreme Court Justices Monday tussled over the line between permitted private prayer by a public school employee and prohibited coercion of students to join in religious exercise in a case from Bremerton, Washington, that could reset the boundary between church and state on campus. Uh, The First Amendment's religion clauses point in different directions, they say, preventing an official establishment of religion, but also protecting free exercise of faith. So two things that are uh, protected, religious expression, Is protected and freedom of speech Mm -hmm. is protected i i think that uh it's useful here um there's a lot of talk about uh, thomas jefferson and his mention of the wall of separation between church and state uh it's one of those like look i'm not a, a you know i don't read a lot of the founding documents uh like some people do, but I've heard enough about it. Is it is it a phrase? Or, uh, have you thought about this very much as far as like why? How does that fit with this? Thomas Jefferson, the idea of a wall of separation uh, between church and state, and then religious expression and freedom of speech.
1: Yeah, I think I think the um, the idea of the separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, um, separation of church and state. That phrase is not. Um, what what maybe is being communicated when people say that is in the Constitution, maybe, depending on what they mean by that. But I think that phrase is oftentimes used being connected to the First Amendment, and it's used to say the two should never, ever touch. There should be no intermingling of any aspect of religion with any aspect right. of government. And it's it's oftentimes taken to the the extreme that, like, I think we begin to see a little bit here. There have been more extreme cases, but I think usually they don't hold water um, in the courts. This one seems to tread the line a little bit more, seems to be less clear. Um, but yeah, I think by and large, actually, sorry, Jefferson, but I think the the phrase separation of church and state is oftentimes um, used incorrectly and used inappropriately in a way that doesn't accord with what the constitution actually says
0: well i mean it the phrases you know uh religious religious expression and freedom of speech are what is guaranteed i i would think that the main meaning behind thomas jefferson's phrase the wall of separation is to not establish a religion that that right. is the separation he was talking about right because i mean the historical background was uh english war with France, with, I mean, the various Catholic-Protestant wars, wars within uh, Protestantism uh, to some degree and uh, that that is the historical background that they want to avoid in this country because over in Europe, a lot of these countries still have in theory, an established religion and often some <laughs> form of Christianity but it's not been good for Christianity nor has been particularly uh, impactful on the state. Right. Um, And it just doesn't seem like a system that has worked out very well. Um, And so that seems to me what is behind Jefferson's phrase and not, like you said, what seems to be the takeaway often that it's just like, well, that you will never have to see uh, religious expression in... Right. public that doesn't i don't i don't think that's what is going on there that's not what uh, any of the founders had in mind now, i i will say what i've read of uh early america uh colonial period but even into um the founding of the country 1776 is there was a general sort of understanding well christianity's here there aren't a lot of other represented religions i mean the connection between uh European civilization and Christianity was still much more wedded. And so there was a general sort of Christianity's present, um, but we're not going to establish a religion. And the thing that I hear, I mean, I had a question for a lot of years. Is I was like, I, some of these founders were deists, but why would you ever be a deist? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what is in it for anybody? I mean, you don't have any of the comforts of Christianity. If God made the world and then went away— and then it occurred to me, oh, if you're a politician, what you need. I mean, they talk about, well, you have to have a moral populace. You have to have a people that have moral grounds. Otherwise, it's chaos. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, it'll devolve and they'll, you know, kill each other. The, the rule of law can't be maintained in this. Um, and that that was their belief. And if you're yeah. a deist, then you could say to everyone, be moral. And then you can kind of do whatever you want. If God made the world and they went away, you can. And as, you know, if you've read very much, uh, Plenty of the founders kind of did do whatever they wanted yeah. in in various ways um, yeah. as politicians. You know, it's, it's not like that's new among politicians. Sort of having uh, social lives that might not be. So, uh, man, wonderful. you hate politicians. It uh, sounds uh, like Jackson. a lot of them are not trustworthy people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> man, it's also brush. not new. Broad brush. Um, yeah, you're right. It what you know. What's interesting about that is that only in it's only been recently that we've ever had anyone. In public office, especially on a national scale, that has rejected any sort of religious affiliation. Um, only recently have you had anyone right. who's yeah, true. you know identified as quote unquote none in as in uh, they mark the right. box of having no religious uh, affiliation. Um, I-, I think there have been some that have claimed the religion of uh, secularism or humanism or something like that, um, but yet. Yeah, by and large, most politicians still recognize that truth, um, that the population by and large wants someone that they consider to have a moral compass. and almost the only means of establishing that is by identifying yourself with some sort of religion, which I find interesting. even still. Now, there's a growing number of people who don't identify, but even still, the, like if you look at the if you look at Congress, and look at everyone's religious affiliation. Right. Oh, the overwhelming majority of them are affiliated with some sort of religion. Many of them um, with some sort of Protestant uh, denomination. Many with Roman Catholicism. Um, others with with uh, Islam, and you know a handful of others. But most of them are religious, right? Or, or claim a religious identity,
0: right? And if you know, if you if you hear this and you view that as sort of like. Um that's just a knee-jerk reaction. Well, if it's just a base sort of um, disapproval because of some preconceived notion, that's one thing. But look, if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, the Bible says that everyone will answer for whatever we've done in word or deed. Every word that you've said, every action that you've done. And I mean, the what is the foundation of wisdom to fear god because you Mm -hmm. will stand before him and and that's that's very strong now christianity leads you i mean as as a christian you want to get to a better place i mean the bible also says perfect love casts out fear that you want to move toward love for god (laughs) and not just you know live in this space of going like man god's going to get me uh you know that's why i do everything is because god's going to get me you don't want to stay there forever but um knowing our own heart's tendency to go maybe i'll get away with this um that fear of the Lord is still a good thing to have around when your heart tries to tell you, you know, hey, do whatever you feel like doing, swindle people, lie, cheat, steal. Um, there is a place for that. And so I, I say this just to say, no, it's not fair to go, you know, you can't be a, an upright person if you're not a Christian, but the principles, you got to tell me what your principles are uh, otherwise, right? because they're certainly... Are people who, you know, uh, would go, well, I, I do swindle and I don't feel bad about it. And yeah, there might be Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, do that, but it's against it's against the principles outlined in the book, uh, yeah. you know, outlined in the Bible. So, yeah. um, let's move on here. At issue, it says, "Quote: At issue is Bremerton High School football coach Joe Kennedy's post-game practice of taking a knee to pray on the 50-yard line, win or lose, sometimes with players coming over to join him." Mr. Kennedy, a Christian, says he feels compelled to praise God but played no favorites with the students who participated in the prayer circle. And and here we'll begin to move into, I think we have four different quotes from various uh, Supreme Court justices in asking, and and I think they're helpful to sort of pinpoint, okay, what are the concerns? Because there's a concern that's mentioned there. Okay, well, when he goes and prays, and other students come pray. Does that mean then he's going to pick those students to be, let's just say, the starting quarterback, for mm-hmm. instance, or something like that? Uh, and That's a concern that is raised uh, immediately. And and so here's here's a school district a response to that quote. The school district says he used his public employment to promote his religion. He had previously led locker room prayers, which he stopped after a district re- request to do so. He then publicized the tension over his post game devotionals, which drew media attention at the homecoming game, the officials said. Uh, both sides agreed Monday that a coach or teacher couldn't use a public school position to pressure students to pray. The disagreement was over whether that is what Mr. Kennedy's ritual amounted to. So where are we after that uh, quote? Because we're, we're about to move um, past the circumstances. Uh, and, and I would say, depending on where you fall on this, we're moving from assessing what we're talking about to a position of mm-hmm. what we're talking about so where are we right now
1: uh well there's clearly <laughs> what's what's interesting to me is that what is seems to be communicated from the school district um is a sort of a lack of trust like of this guy that even though he's not making players come out they see right. it as a form of coercion because he does have a certain amount of authority. Uh, players, and this might be true of some of them, might want to be in his good graces, and so will go up um, to the 50-yard line with him, even if they don't really want to. Uh, um, but the fear that the school seems to have, the district seems to have, is that um, players are being coerced because he might treat them differently if they don't. Yeah. Uh, and there is this kind of coercion. Well, man, you could almost make that claim over almost anything like, well, the coach always drinks a diet Pepsi after the game. Well, players might feel coerced to drink diet Pepsi in order to be in the good graces of the, of the coach, or maybe to buy him a diet Pepsi or, or whatever, you know, the coach always likes to go and, uh, eat a sandwich at his tailgate after the game. And a lot of the students began joining in, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but it was a form of coercion. What about those people who are vegetarian and can't eat lunch meat, you know? Um, now that's a bit of an extreme example I recognize, but Um, the, the principle I think still does relate that just because he is doing this thing and many of the players joined in, he invited them to, I'm sure they were well, he wanted them to feel welcome as any Christian would, he would want, you would want people to feel welcome to join you in prayer. Um, but the school corporation or or the school district clearly saw this as different than any other activity that he could have been doing.
0: Right. And, and so that's huge, what you're saying, is that if there's one word that if you're going to try to understand this issue, you better understand or you better think about is what is coercion? Mm-hmm. Um, and a simple definition would be, you know, coercion is when you are taking part in something, then you are, you are taking an action against your will. Mm-hmm. Now, some sort of... Uh, in the background of all of this is the, the water that we swim in in terms of worldview, which is uh, expressive individualism. Well, I need to f- feel completely unencumbered by my decisions at all times. Okay, look, that doesn't exist. Right. Uh, so so coercion, yes, look, it, if somebody is making you do something, especially in a physical way against your will, well, that, that's explicitly coercion. It is not coercion. I mean, influence is different from Mm -hmm. coercion. We are influenced by everything. And in fact, our wills are attached to other people's will, especially people that we care about, people that we trust. Your will is not some sort of like separate, uh, forever, you know, individualized entity that just floats in space. And it's like, I cannot be affected by anything else until I choose to make a decision. We're all tied to other people, in particular people that, I mean, think about your family. As a kid, you are inextricably tied to your family, their will, I mean, humanly speaking, the will of the mother and the father is what Mm -hmm. leads to a baby existing. I mean, you want to start with simple terms here. um, And we seem to have this idea that nobody should be uh, affected by anybody else. Well, that's that's just not the case. That's not clear thinking. Now, look, we're not for coercion, but influence... we swim in influence. Right. There, there are right. hundreds of influences over us before we ever even can think about that fact. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way life is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Your your distinction between coercion and influence, I think, is spot on. Right now, if there had been, mind you, no, as far as I've, I nothing that I have read yet or heard, there have been no accusations coming forward that he actually did treat players differently or offer certain, um, certain privileges to To any of the players who came out and prayed with him, right. um, that compared to the ones who didn't, right. I don't think anything has come out saying that he did. Mm-hmm. Now, if that were the case, if he actually were okay, whoever comes out, you get to play next week. Right. Then yes, that you would have a case for coercion right. there, and that would be a problem. But that none of that has been even claimed right. or or accused, and so all it is right now is is influence, right? And and fear that it would move into that perhaps by. Right. Uh, some of the people in the in the school district, but yeah, they, you're exactly right. I mean, there is a huge difference between influence, which, like you said, we are influenced by people every day. Um, you know, we even talk about hear people talking when they take awards or when they you know uh, win prizes or whatever. They say, "Man, I'm just I've been so influenced by so and so, you know, on my life. They've been such a big influence for me. They don't say they they've coerced me. <laughs> no, right. they they've influenced you. There's a right. difference."
0: Right. And, um, in some cases it seems that, uh, where's the line between influence and coercion? Uh, well, if you're watching it and you don't like it, then you might call it coercion, but it's, you can't, you can't be satisfied with looking at a situation and just go, I, I will call things according to my subjective viewpoint only. I mean, yeah. you got to strive for objectivity. Right. Um, So let's do this. We have, I believe, here among these four different um, judges that chime in on this, we have two of the ones uh, who are on the more liberal end, and uh, I'll do those and you do the uh, more conservative ones. So I'll have the first one here. This is from uh, Elena Kagan and said, uh, quote, The issue is having students feel that they have to join religious activities that they do not wish to join. That their parents do not wish them to join, said Justice Elena Kagan. School officials are worried that the students will feel uh, he gets to put me into a football game or not. He gets to give me an A in math class or not. And this is the kind of coercion that is improper for 16-year-olds, end quote. So that's probably what you uh, were kind of—that's the the attitude. And look, I mean, anybody who's been (laughs) around— Around organized sports at the high school level, there are always questions about it. Did the coach put that guy in because of who his dad is? Oh yeah. Uh, and so that stuff is out there, but to take it to the level that oh well, we can't, you know, it, okay if that if that guy's dad is a businessman in the community, when I mean businessmen uh, play on sports teams. Um, so so on this one, uh, look. Uh, this is is to me a clear case of the influence versus coercion thing. Look, I mean, sometimes connection and having certain things in common. I mean, I grew up in a small town. Sometimes things happened because of who people were tied to. And that does happen. But that doesn't mean then that we break all these connections up and say like, you know, that guy can't even Mm -hmm. be around because he knows other people. Um, So so there's that. Um, But take Mm from it what you will.
1: Yeah, what's so interest What's interesting in that statement by uh, Justice Kagan is that it's two things, namely, in her mind, feelings seem to remain supreme. Uh, well, students might feel this way or feel that way, and the last thing we want them to do is feel a certain way that we don't want them to feel. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, all of that really has little to no bearing on the reality of the situation of whether or not it is coercion, right. whether or not something is wrong. And then you know she even says. Uh, school officials are quote unquote, worried that their parents uh, or that the students will feel he gets to put me in a football game, he gets to give me an A in math class or not and this is a kind of coercion that is improper for 16 years old. Well, all of that is premised, or is, she starts with that they would be worried. Right. There, none of it is, has come to pass or is actually happening in reality. Right. We're just worried that students will feel this certain way. And therefore, we're going to take this rather dramatic step um, to to limit this person's expression. I, right. It's just pretty wild to me, but
0: right. And uh, so far, that one is pretty low hanging fruit because you cannot you cannot adjust the world on a suspicion that something might drive worry. I know I know plenty of people who I have tried and helped and hoped that you know and prayed that they would be free of worry. But I have seen that if you give in to worry, if you shield worry, often it can lead to more worry. Mm-hmm. If you try to protect it, the answer is not, we are not so uh, easily breakable that the only answer is like, well, we just have to make sure there's nothing that would ever cause anxiety. There are certain things that are hard that we have to face and get stronger to deal with. And then yes, it's, you know, we, we protect people from getting hit by cars because right. that's not a situation where people can handle it. Uh, but the things that people can hand, we can bear up under things, mm-hmm. and you can look at issues and go, "I'm not going to take part in that." Um, so, so that one's not just not there yet for me. But you go ahead yeah. with the next one.
1: So the next one um, comes from Justice Clarence Thomas. Thomas, excuse me. When Richard kasky the attorney representing the Burmerton School District, took the lectern. Justice Clarence Thomas asked about other subjects for football field expression. Quote, If the coach, instead of taking a knee for prayer, took a knee during the national anthem because of moral opposition to racism, how would your school district respond? He asked. Political and religious speech have to be treated the same way, Mr. Kasky said. School districts and other governmental entities have to be able to control their programs. And when they hire somebody to run that program, they have to make sure that it is their message that is being communicated. I think this is a fascinating statement. I think, um, I think Justice Clarence Thomas uh, sees something rightly, uh, and that is that there are all kinds of um, moral expressions, uh, expressions based on a sort of truth claim, mm-hmm. like taking a knee during a national anthem, that are largely right. being accepted in these kinds of settings, and yet one that um, is on the basis of a religious truth claim right. or a religious basis is automatically cast out out of purely because it is related to religion. Right. And he's he's pointing that out, I think, rightly so. Um, and you know the uh, the attorney kind of offers a, a an answer but I would have a hard time believing that those two kinds of speech are actually treated the same way.
0: Well, and I, I'm glad to hear, uh, this is not something that I had compared much before reading this article, but you do have to treat political and religious speech the same way. And I would, I'm glad uh, to see that that is how the, uh, the legal counsel that is representing the school district, um, Sees this, and so then, uh, how do we how do we attain to that? Excuse me, because uh, the question again: How is it that we are not uh, establishing a religion? How can you have a person who has a religion, but then it is, and they can even operate as an agent or working for a government agency? Uh, how does that work? How can it not be establishing? religion if we've already thrown out and and uh, thrown out the idea that well look uh, it's not as simple as like well they just do that in private what you believe influences what you do that's just yeah. not a solution to this yeah. that's just not that's that, dumb <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way i mean it just doesn't work that way for anybody yeah and the only way i think that um i think that you could see it that way is, is that's not reflective you just haven't thought about this that much and and you know look in the time that I grew up, that Christianity was a lot in the background. But I think something that we've seen over the last, say, 10, 15 years is that morality is actually underneath almost everything that we do. Uh, for instance, um, what we believe about almost everything, everything that we do every day, we, we most of the time are deciding that it is a good thing. It's it's kind of background. We, we are telling ourselves that it's a good thing. We we don't like to view ourselves as anything but good people. And it, it, another proof I have for this is the life that you and I are both living right now. If, if you forget how fundamentally moral we are, have children and then watch them argue with each other and with you about what is fair and what's good and... And how interested kids are in morality, how interested in, in they are in what is right and what is wrong, uh, and, and even pretty quickly in, in kind of arguing about, like, here's why this is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is a moral conversation you will have with your small child. I mean, for me, sooner than I thought. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you move into pretty quickly trying to teach kids. I mean, as, as anybody who's had small children knows, Um, the thing that they're really good at is trying to hurt themselves. And so you try to figure out very quickly, how do I teach you what things are bad to do because you will hurt yourself? And then beyond that, as they get older, what things are bad to do for all these other reasons. But morality is very fundamental to who we are. And it's almost like often when we deal with sort of moral questions like this, that everybody argues well, my moral viewpoint is obvious and given. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, right. you need to know some grounding for why what you are saying is right mm-hmm. is right mm-hmm. beyond just, well, it's obvious that I'm right and that my, you know, because um, a lot of this stuff isn't self-evident.
1: Right. That's
0: right. So, um, I will reference here. Let me see. This one, a federal judge, it says, quote, uh, The federal judge who ruled against Kennedy District Judge Ronald Layton compared his post-game behavior to a director who comes to center stage and prays at the end of a school play. Uh, A reasonable onlooker would interpret their speech from that location as an extension of the school-sanctioned speech just before it. Uh, That's actually from uh, an Associated Press article by Gene Johnson called Praying Football Coach Asking Supreme Court for His Job Back. And uh, th- that is not one of the Supreme Court justices, but it is one of the federal judges who had previously ruled against mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Kennedy. And I, I, I hear this, and it sounds like the issue we've already talked about, that it's it's not as if, if you're a play uh, director working for the school, uh, that then you can't... Be a Christian, and this comparison—it um, is directly drawing people into walk to the front of a play and say, "And now all of us yeah. will pray together." Yeah, that is not what happened right. in this case. Right, and the tendency—if anybody—if you've ever watched yourself when you tried to argue a case, you will overplay your case sometimes to try to win the argument before it starts
1: Mm
0: -hmm. what we're we're asking is when is it establishment of religion right and the details we're getting to and 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 here in just a moment i mean i I was thinking about this and, and where i land on it and and the details once again are after the game was over the coach did go to a 50 yard line and knelt there silently Okay, what does that mean? So that's where we're going. Um, But then before we get there, go ahead and uh, you have the next uh, point, which is by some of the other justices, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, so um, this comes from—yeah, this is just talking about a few of the other Supreme Court justices. As the case made its way through the courts, Kennedy, who is the coach, lost at every turn. But when the Supreme Court declined to take the case at an earlier stage, Justice Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh called the Ninth Circuit's reasoning troubling and said, under it, public school teachers and coaches may be fired if they engage in any expression that the school does not like when they are on duty. And, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because you begin to ask the question then, okay, moving from there, Uh, it it is precedent setting. It's establishing precedent. Um, And if he is not allowed to decide to pray at the 50 yard line after a football game, uh, because he is, is an employee of the school district, then, okay, well, what about um, a teacher in a classroom? What are they allowed to do or not to do? What about a janitor um, mopping the hallways? What are they allowed to do and not to do? And, And yeah, I mean, there was a
0: question about, could a teacher pray before a meal if they're in a cafeteria Yeah, and and, I mean, pray silently before a meal and
1: yeah. And how many restrictions are you going to put on that prayer then? Are you going to say, well, they can do it, but it has to be below a certain volume or it has to be silently. It can't be out loud, not allowed to bow your head. No one can know that you're praying. That's the direction this is moving in because they offered him this coach solutions with the intent of so that no one sees it, no one knows, or it can be identified right. as religious expression. Because that clearly is their problem, is that it's religious expression. Right. And uh, he declined those options. Um, and I think rightly so, on the basis of, of his First Amendment rights. Um, I'm saying rightly so. Like you said, I'm not a Supreme Court justice, but, but I think so. Um, yeah, I think it just it moves in a, a bad direction. You know, somebody very close to me is a school teacher, and had a situation where uh, she had a student who was um, wanting to be called by a, a pronoun that did not match her biology. As uh, was a, a student claiming to be transgendered and wanted to be called, um, I, I believe, uh, a he, uh, he, him, but this was a, a female student. Uh, she was very much kind of um, torn with what to do. And the reason is she knows that uh, religious religious expression is so closely monitored in the school, and so now teachers are put in a situation, teacher not just teachers, teachers, faculty, clearly football coaches, where you have to almost you're almost forced to operate in a way that is not natural with your religion, right. in a way that causes you to be sort of incognito, uh, and. So now that is the strain that's being put on uh, on faculty, on staff for for schools and things like that, uh, is you're forcing them to, in a sense, um, I don't want to use the word feel oppressed, but uh, certainly um, live in, in a great deal of concern if they live out their faith, if they are a Christian publicly.
0: I mean, I act in opposition to what yeah. they fundamentally believe. And yeah. Then, so uh, there are questions there uh, for yes. sure. Why don't, why don't you run down, we have a few precedents that we should mention mm-hmm. uh, before sort of summarizing where we're at in this uh, issue. Do you want to run down just those few precedents that we have right here?
1: Yeah, and these precedents do kind of illustrate the point that this specific case very much kind of, it kind of falls on the line. It's a little bit tougher. Um, but so here are some of the precedents. In 2000, the court struck down a Texas school district policy in which students elected one of their own to deliver prayers before varsity football games. There was another one in 1992. An opinion invalidated the practice in Rhode Island public schools of, in, of inviting clergy to offer prayers at graduation. Those followed decisions from earlier 1960s against mandatory uh, recitation of, of a prayer composed by, a, by state officials or of Bible verses to open the school day. Um,
0: Right, so you have precedents. There's one where students elected someone, and uh, you can see Mm -hmm. the argument for why that was establishment, because even though it was student-led, it was still established by the students that there would be someone. Uh, And then that second one, which is uh, inviting clergy to offer prayers at graduation, um, and then about the third one was about, um, mandatory recitation of prayer by state officials or Bible verses chosen by them to open the school day. And so mm-hmm. those have happened in the past.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think here, I, I don't know where this will land, but here's where I can imagine it landing. Uh, I've heard talk. That this would be a, uh, what they call a narrow decision that it, it would not necessarily be a, uh, sort of sweeping change to the landscape Um, but what would be clarified i would expect that uh, a coach like coach kennedy uh, after the game is over if it was a public if it was a space so for instance if the field was a place where anybody could be after a game then i would think there's nothing you can do about expression of religious activity there Mm -hmm. um I, i would think that that will be yeah where they probably land that if it's a place that's that's open so for instance uh having been to quite a few football games i can say for certain that uh the stands or the the walkway these these areas that are between uh i just don't see how you could come down that that it's not okay in those spaces um because that is an open space for any citizen. Mm-hmm. This person is a citizen. Yes, they are also a coach, but you cannot just say, well, since they're a coach, they can't have the abilities and rights that a citizen has. That just doesn't right. make any sense.
1: Right. Your your rights as a citizen don't disappear when you become a coach. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask – I agree with you. I think the issue comes down to that 50-yard line largely. Yep. Um. So let me ask you this. I think this would be helpful for for anyone listening who maybe is like – looking for a practical, like mm-hmm. what should Christians do in this situation? Let me ask you, Jackson, put you on the on the spot. If you're this coach and they say you are allowed to pray, yeah, but you cannot do so on the 50 yard line, you have to do so somewhere off field um, and outside of the school building, someplace that isn't anyone is allowed to be, such as the parking lot or the stands, but everything else can stay the same. You can do it out loud, your, your right. players can come, players from the other team can come, whoever wants to come can come. Right. The only difference is you have to take it off the field to do it. What would your response be if you're that coach? I,
0: if this were me, I think I'm okay with that. I think so I too. Mean, um, and, and, I, and I think that the lines of sense as far as, okay, how can this be sorted? I think all the lines can be sorted in that way because uh, it's not a privileged location nor is it uh you know a coach is not a religious vocation it's uh, yes it is a position of influence but look it, as christians we believe that serving is is incredibly influential on people look everybody has a means of influence
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that if you want to be free of influence it doesn't exist and, and so that that question is just neither here nor there to me. Uh, the question that is, okay, what is privilege? Like what is a privileged position? And and how do you then keep from establishing mm-hmm. a religion? And that's, that's how I think you keep the government from establishing a religion by just it not being uh, limited by a, a privileged space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's how it will come out, but it seems to me um, a lot of the, it's odd. I don't know if you ran into this uh, or, or noticed it when you read it. There seems to be a sort of scare tactic that uh, is said sometimes where it goes, well, if we allow this, then we're allowing Satanists and Buddhists and Hindus. And what do you think when they say that?
1: Uh, So the argument that you're proposing is if we allow um, a, a Christian to pray on the field, then we would be allowing Satanists, Hindus, Buddhists, whoever they wanted to go onto the field and engage in some sort of religious practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would offer the same thing. I would say, man, as long as they're not making people do it, and and so long as they're not doing anything destructive or, right. um, or, uh, what's what would that in, any sort of incitement to violence or anything like right. that, then I would say they should also have that exp- freedom of expression right. to do the same thing. I, I would whatever conclusion is is come to here, it should apply across the right. board it to all to. religions. Yeah, yeah. I I would want it to. Right. And, and yeah.
0: And and I I was thinking about that because I think we've all seen that sort of uh, kind of messaging yeah. so many times that I really look at it and I kind of go, well, look, as a Christian, I view myself as having worked for the devil in the past. I mean, look, if you sin and you sin against people, you're driving people to sin against you and to sin against other people. Mm hmm. That's who you're working for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we believe, I mean, we believe in a Jesus who says, hey, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not against me, you're for me. And so uh, that, that issue, uh, look, I mean, and then the other, th- so that's the whole, frankly, definite Christian viewpoint is you either are working for God or the devil at the end of the day. I mean, that's one thing, <laughs> yeah. but then the American viewpoint is, well, look, yeah, that's, that's the American promise that, that's exactly right that we do not establish any religion and that this is this is a marketplace of ideas folks mm-hmm. and 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 i think the other thing that really made me look at that and go huh i need to look at that is i'm reading through the book of acts right now we're, we're studying that and look in the book of acts i mean I, what we're just reading lately paul and barnabas go to uh, derby and they're thought it's thought that they are zeus and hermes right <laughs> and then the people are like we'll sacrifice to you and then they go Wait, 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 don't do that. And then the people are like, wait, what? And then Jews say, yeah, because they're they're actually evil and they're heretics and you better kill them. And then they do try to stone Paul and you see the crowd turn against them because look, that basic paganism where it's just like, look, it's all present here. That's to me what the future uh, we're about to return to is we've lived through a time where there was this general sort of moral framework that I do think was established by the vague Christianity and, and that's what I think that, that that framework, which we sort of divorced from Christianity and was still here kind of going like, well, you can be a you know a good upstanding person, But that moral framework was provided by Christianity, and then a lot of Christianity was sort of left behind. and it's sort of right. like a tree that was still standing, even though that a lot of the past life had, had sort of left it. Yeah, well, uh, it, I mean, frankly, as an American, it, it, I hope it doesn't scare us to go. All of these religions will be present. And that's, a, that's another reason why it sort of kind of landed there for me that, look, if this is a space where anybody can be, then that's what we've all signed on for. Right. Is that, yeah, there can be uh, anybody practicing in any of the religions of the world, uh, as long as we're not talking coercion. Right. That's what we all signed up for
1: right. as uh, as Americans. That's what it means. And historically this is what Baptists have stood for right is uh, freedom of religious expression uh, for any and all religions because we know um, or historically have understood that the moment you infringe that uh, freedom of expression for any religion, it will come for your religion right uh, There are no exceptions and so it it's yeah. To think otherwise is foolish, but yeah, I agree.
0: Well, uh, from what I understand, this is a decision that's going to be coming out in July, and so we'll see. We'll wait uh, and see what comes of it. I'm sure. What is that's, your prediction? I, I really think that um, I definitely can't say that that is exactly what I've just outlined is exactly what will be decided, but it it looks like something along those lines, Mm -hmm. I would think. It's always hard, I mean, um, but I I would think it'll be something along those lines. I I have heard, I I just learned this terminology of a narrow decision versus a broad decision a while back, Um, but that's, I've heard a lot about narrow decision.
1: What do you? I think so. I think there's so many specifics to the case that it won't be one that makes some sort of like huge, broad, sweeping um, precedent. Right. Uh, But I think largely... It will move in the favor of the coach. I think you could see something like that. Something like, okay, you can you can continue to do all of this, just don't do it on the fifty yard line. Do it somewhere else. If that's a privileged um, position. Right? Yeah, yeah, but th- the conclusion might be made. Nope, anyone can be there um, after the game, and therefore he can do uh, he can pray there right. along with anyone else who wants to go there and pray.
0: Right. Yeah, we'll see.
1: All right, we'll, we'll see how correct we are. Uh, if we're prophets or not. I guess we will. Yeah. All right, then. Nothing else? I don't think so. It's been good to be here with you today, Jackson. You too. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Anytime. All right. Let's do it again next week. What do you say? Sounds awesome. <laughs> All right, this has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future.